0: Well, let me say in humility uh, and, and, and an apology too. Um, so this is the first time in 30 years of ministry I have ever been late to a service. I was buzzing along like it was ten fifteen. I forgot the time change i know i so i humble myself but elizabeth elizabeth came flying home and she said are you okay i said yeah why the well, service started at 9 30 and it was like oh god no <laughs> so anyways <clears throat> here i stand a broken man um well i want to uh wish all of those here who are dads happy father's day to you um Father's Day, uh, as one uh, boy described it, is like Mother's Day, but you don't have to spend as much on the presents. Um, Yeah, I know. Uh, Fathers are underrated. And yet, if you look at uh, studies, just the opposite. We see how fathers um, are much needed. In fact, there was a study uh, done uh, in cooperation with Harvard, uh, excuse me, with Princeton and Yale, coming out and saying that homes without fathers produce kids with low motivation for achievement, inability to defer immediate gratification, low self-esteem, and are more given to the influences of juvenile delinquency, in fact, with daughters who grow up in homes without fathers. 39% more apt to engage uh, in anorexic and bulimic behaviors. It's pretty clear, and I don't think uh, anyone can really doubt, that there are things that a father brings to a family that can't be replaced without them. And we're living in a time Where almost about 29% of kids in this country will grow up without fathers. And some, in fact, some statistics will say 36%. And they've shown that there's a difference between fathers who die and fathers who leave the impact on the family, that there's greater impact on kids for fathers who leave than fathers who die because while they can get through the grief process, they understood that they were not abandoned. Fatherhood is important. I'm going to have you look at a clip in a second. And I want your feedback on this clip. I want you to look at what you see going on. Um, Just observations about the people in the clip, the impact fatherhood has had on them, and what it says about their fathers. So we can play that. Go ahead. Fight my boss, probably. Really? Yeah, why? Who would you fight? fight my dad. I don't know my dad. I mean, I know him, but... He left when I was like six years old, married this other woman, had some other kids He he like did this every six years, he goes to a new city and starts a new family My dad never went to college, so it's real important that I go That sounds familiar So I graduate, I call him up long distance, I say, dad, now what? He says, get a job Same here Now I'm 25, make my yearly call again, say, dad, now what? He says, I don't know Get married. God, I mean, you can't get married. I'm a 30-year-old boy. We're a generation of men raised by women. I'm wondering if another woman is really the answer we need. I right, give me some feedback. What do you see going on in that? Self-pity? Okay, maybe, yeah. A distant father? Abandonment, Abandonment? Yeah, lost. Very good. Yep. Right, kind of uh, boilerplate answers to life. What's that? Yes, Uh, um, I remember, uh, I've had a number of girls, but I remember one young girl I was counseling, young, everybody's young to me, Um, but she was like in her mid-20s and just frustrated because she said, every person, every man I meet, they're just man boys, and I said, what? She goes, they're man boys, They're, they're men, but they're really boys, so yeah, what else do you see? In the beginning, he says, who would you fight? And one of them says, my boss. And he turns and says, who would you fight? He said, my dad. Pick up any anger there? Yeah. Angry, lost, hurt, by fathers who are distant, disengaged, disinterested, it makes an impact. Fathers are part of what holds the keys to a child's future. I always tell uh, folks that family is a laboratory from which we do life. And if things get messed up in that laboratory, things can get messed up in the world. This morning, I wanna share with you the importance of fatherhood, particularly uh, in our time in our country in which um, America suffers from what's called the Phantom Father. Uh, He's either there but not there or not there at all. And I want us to see that by being a father in a home and taking that seriously, you can change the impact of the life of your children. I like a quote by C.S. Lewis who said, fatherhood must be at the core of the universe. Then disrespect for a father means engaging in some very dangerous vandalism. Gordon Dolby said, we had better teach our sons mercy. A man who curses his father curses his own manhood. It reminds me of an interview with uh, Burt Reynolds and Barbara Walters when Burt Reynolds was a big up-and-coming... Well, he he had reached it at that point. Uh, People magazine, the sexiest man on earth and all that stuff. And so she said to him in a provocative way, trying to kind of coax him into saying something provocative. She said, Burt, when does a man become a man? And he looked at her and said, when his father tells him so. And not until fatherhood holds the key to a child's manhood down the road, uh, to what a woman becomes and experiences and looks for or runs to and the men that she'll meet later on. Um, I want to share with you from a passage uh, this morning. We went through this passage, a little piece of it, probably about... uh, three months ago, but I want to have us look at it again, but we're going to look at more in a bigger context, and that's Deuteronomy chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, you can open it, or we're going to put it on the screen. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And actually, before we before we even do that, let me give you the takeaway early um, that I want you to be thinking about as we go through this passage. And the takeaway is this. The best plan for being a father is to follow the father's plan. The best plan for being a father is to follow the father's plan. Most men will talk about feeling lost, unprepared, not even sure what they're doing half the time when it comes to raising kids. And you you, you hear people all the time who, who will say the cliche, well, they don't give you a manual when your child's born. But that's really not true. There is a manual. And the manual comes from what we see in the scriptures, from what God says. The best plan for being a father is the father's plan. How many of you here have raised your, your children according to the, to the word of God, as, as best as you could, as best as you saw fit? How many? Yeah. Peter, when, you, when you're raising your three darlings... And something's going on, or you, you, you and Cindy are making a decision of what's in their best interest. What are you thinking about? Uh, what decision will I wish I made? What decision will I? W- and according to what? Yeah. If you're a father, then you're raising your kids, and you're asking the questions. What's the impact of this? If I let my child do this, what will the impact be? When they go to school, will they go to Christian schools or public schools or will I homeschool? It's based on a decision of what I believe will will be in their best interest and will not detract away from their faith. When they're growing up and they're asking to engage in different behaviors, you're measuring those behaviors by what Scripture says. When they go to get married, you're putting your input into that according to what you believe the Word of God says. I know a a couple, I give them just so much credit, their daughter uh, was going to marry, married a a Mormon uh, gentleman. And, um, And they had said from the very beginning, I've said the same thing to my daughter, but they had said, look, if you, if, you, if you choose as a believer to marry an unbeliever, we're not going to pay for that kind of wedding. We can't. It's, it's, we don't agree with it. And we're not going to help facilitate it. And I'm not going to walk you down the aisle. Because the symbolism of walking a young girl down the aisle by her father is huge. It's symbolic of taking her and placing her from underneath your covering of protection and handing her to a man and putting her under his covering of protection. And if in your mind you know, yeah, this person could very well spiritually shipwreck my daughter, how in the world could I just hand her off in good conscience? The best plan for fatherhood is to follow the Father's plan. And to get a picture of that, let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. Moses is writing to the people. Um, as they're about to take the promised land, and he is reiterating over and over and over again throughout the book and Leviticus, this is God's will, this is God's word, this is what you are to do and how you are to live. God has a plan for us. As fathers, we have to know that we have a plan for our children. It's not a plan to tell them what to do in the sense of um, you know the small daily activities of life or what careers to choose. It's not a plan where we're going to force them to marry somebody. But it's a plan and understanding that God has put principles in place in the world that if you understand those principles. If you know them, if you give your life to them, good things happen. And so Moses is reiterating reiterating this to the people. He says, these are the commands, decrees, and laws. The Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing, uh, the Jordan to possess, so that you your children and their children after them may fear the Lord God as long as you live by keeping his decrees and his commands I give you and so that you may enjoy long life. What's the plan? That you have everything you need so that you might enjoy long life. That's God's plan. Jesus came to ensure that we would enjoy a long life eternally. As well as temporally. But that's God's plan. Um, many of you know the scripture, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans you have for me, declares the Lord. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. God's plan for us and the plan that he wants us to give to our children and our children's children is a plan not to harm them not to stifle them, not to stop them from becoming, but to ensure that it happens. Most people live in this world without a plan. When we had, looking at our series a few months ago called Emotions, What Do You Do With Them? What we saw is that most people live by emotion. They live by their feelings, how they feel about something. What well, the core of how we feel comes down to whether it causes us pleasure or whether it causes us pain or fear. And so anything that we look at that we say, say to ourselves, you know, if, if I buy into that, then I won't be able to do this or I won't be able to think or act this way and I don't want to do that. God's plan for us is not to act on our feelings because if you act on your feelings, it doesn't take long for everything to go right down the drain. We all know that. We see the car that we think, wow, this is this is the car for me. It's bright, it's shiny, I I like the way it looks, I like the way it smells, I I like the car. And then we look at the payments. And so we just turn our brain off and deflect and say, car, good, smells good, must be good, buy car. But then a year down the road, all of a sudden, we're drowning in the payments. Because we acted on what we felt and And not on what we should have been thinking. God has a plan for us. And his plan is not to stifle us. If you follow God's plan. It won't be a long miserable life. I've never met anybody who gave their lives to Christ. Who loved God and who walked away away afterwards saying that was awful. I should have never done that. Just ruined my life. I've never seen that. I've never been with anyone on their deathbed who said, Pastor, the, the one thing I regret most was following God's plan. I've never heard that. But I can tell you, I have sat in a counseling room with people over and over and over again Who have shipwrecked their lives, who have ruined their marriage, who have embarrassed themselves in front of their children, who have brought themselves to despair over doing what they felt versus doing what God commanded. Why does God command? He commands because He wants us to know this is authoritative this is what's right for you as fathers we follow the father's plan because we know that god has a plan that when god created this world it didn't come without a manual look what we read here israel and be careful that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord God of your, of your ancestors promised you. It's a plan and it's a promise. And as fathers, we turn to it and we recognize, if I'm going to follow any plan, I'm going to follow the one in which God has superintended a promise behind it. Now, look what we read. And I want you to see three things, uh, four things when we talk about being a father. The first is passion. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. If you're going to share God's plan with your kids, then it has to become something passionate inside of you. If it's not passionate inside of you, your kids will see it. I think of the father who was hurrying his son off to Sunday school. And he said to me, you better hurry up. The the bus for Sunday school is coming. and, And if you don't hurry up, you're going to miss it. And so his, his son said to him, Dad, did you ever go to Sunday school? He said, yeah, of course I did. And the boy said, well, it probably won't help me either. You can pick up on that. You can tell whether something matters to someone. If you're going to impress your kids, if if you're going to teach them, if you're going to lead them, then it, then it has to be on your heart. Which means you're going to have to look at those areas in your life where you're being divided by work, by possessions, by addictions, whatever it is that you know is sucking passion out of you for god because if you're going to raise kids that can enjoy a long life a blessed life an eternal life if if that's your plan for them if that's what you want for them then you better become the message it better be on your heart it can't be something just in your head. It has to be emotional as well as cognitive. Because when we, as we were talking about emotions before, I can talk to people and ask them what they believe, and they can give me a Christian confessional confession or doctrinal statement. And yet, in their pain and struggle... In fears, I hear what they really believe, because what goes on for us emotionally is a window to what we really believe. If you're a dad, you need to make sure you're in love with Jesus. You better make sure that you're in love with his word and that you do everything you can to make it part of your life. Because your kids can tell. Your kids are watching. Second word, persuasion. Look what we read. Impress them on your children. Um, the word uh, impress uh, is a, a Hebrew word translation of it is, is like to whet their appetites, to, to present God's word in such a way that it creates a hunger and a thirst, a longing, a desire that they might know God. Um, It means every day pointing out what God is doing. It, it means showing them the signs of glory in your life and in their lives and in the world around them. Showing them the power of God's promise. Persuasion happens when we whet their appetite. It happens as we become examples of that in our love for them. Because it's only in the way that you love your child, only in the way that you speak of God's love and then demonstrate God's love to them, does it in any way whet their appetite to know what you know. It's incumbent upon fathers to live persuasive lives. To live lives in which their kids can look at them and say, you know what, I admire my dad. I respect my dad. I believe, my dad believes, and it's such a powerful example to me. I remember um, a gentleman in our church years ago, a great, great Christian man, uh, Jim Dawson, would tell me about uh, his father and how his father would, you know, uh, every morning put wood in the fireplace and go outside and just all the things that he would do early on in the morning just to make sure the family was taken care of. And then he would drop on his knees And at times he would cry out to the Lord for each of his family members. And he watched that. Do you think that had an impact on him? Had a huge impact on him. Jim went and became a, a, a wonderful Christian man, a generous Christian man. A man who, who thought in line of scripture and a man who acted that way, a man who was generous because he was persuaded, he was impressed by what his father had impressed upon him. Number three, presence. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you lie down, and when you get up. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. That's a, that's a great picture. Uh, first, the whole concept of talking. Um, how do you make your presence known? You talk. You engage. What's the worst thing a father can say to a child? Nothing. And there are fathers who do that. There are fathers who come home at the end of the day and their children are an irritant to them. And they just push them aside. You don't get that picture here. He says, talk to them. Talk to them about the things of God, about the things that matter. They did a study um, with fathers to determine the amount of uh, time that they interacted with uh, their children. And so they asked these fathers ahead of time, they said, How much time do you think you interact with your children in a given day? And they said, Well, the mean was about 37 minutes. So um, they put a small microphone on them to record uh, their interactions and their communications. Um, Actually, I'm sorry, I got that wrong. They, uh, They said the average was 15 to 20 minutes. So they put a microphone on them and they tracked their conversations. And what did they find? The average time a father spends with his children, 37 seconds. And that included, that was broken up into 2.7 encounters. 37 seconds. No wonder we don't have children who have a passion for God. You know, we do the same things spiritually that we do educationally. And, 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 Deb Melin and, and Peter uh, who teach, they can tell you. For a lot of parents, the education of their children happens when they go to school. Not when they come home. And so if they're doing poorly at school, it's the parents' fault. It's the teacher's fault. If they're doing poorly spiritually, it's because the church isn't doing its job. But that isn't the case. If you look at this, it doesn't say that the church is to do this. It says that the parent, and particularly here, the father is to do that. To spend time engaging with his children. It happens by talking. It happens by time, the quality. Look at what we see here. While you walk, while you you sit with them at home, While you walk along the road, while you lie down, and while you get up. How much time is that? Probably thinking too much. Um, But you get the picture of what? A father who spends time with his children intentionally try to make sure that they get it. That's how much time do you spend with your kids? Ooh, about 37 seconds. <laughs> I want you to think about that. How much time did your father spend with you? You know, I... My generation, fathers didn't spend much time with their kids. They went to work. And they worked hard and sometimes worked two jobs. And and they came home. And it was viewed as they did their part. You know, it's funny. I, I see parents running to all these games. And, and that's great. I grew up in a time where if you were playing Little League, you jumped on your bike, you got your ball and your glove and you went and there were no parents hovering over you. I think it's great that parents go to all these. But I think it'd be greater if parents were taking that same amount of time to pour life into their children. To speak life and truth to them. To understand that they're they're supposed to be living out a plan. It's the father's plan. And it's a plan that tells us it takes time if you're going to do it and do it right. There was a little girl who uh, went to her father's uh, study at home, and so she was saying, Daddy, let me show you my picture. And he said, look, I'm busy right now. I'm trying to get some work done. So she sat on his lap for a minute, and he was working away, and then she kept, Kind of talking to him, and he said, You know, honey, look, why don't you go play? I, I got things to do. And so she went off, and about a couple of hours later, he figured, you know, he'd take a break, and he said, Well, you know, I'll go look at her picture. And so he, he called her, and, and he said, Well, honey, let me see your picture. And so she showed him picture, and it was a picture of uh, family outside, you know, her mom, and her brother, and her, and the dog. And he said to her, well, honey, where's, where's daddy? Oh, he's in his office, busy working. You've got to talk to your kids and to really talk and make a difference. It takes time. Thirdly, it, the willingness to travel with your kids. That idea of why you sit at home and why you walk along the... It's, it's the idea of engaging with them in the moments of their lives in the places that they go. You know, I, I thank my wife for this because this was all her. Um, for years when we were married early on she'd always say, let's go on vacation. And I always say, why do we have to go somewhere to go on vacation? Why can't we just stay here? Um, I know. Sounds. I'm a, I'm a ball of fun, um, and um, and she would just say, "Come on, you know, let's go here. Let's go." And, and in my mind, I'm thinking, we, "We let's just chill, you know. Grab a book, relax." And luckily, I gave in, um, and because of her, you know, we, we went to Disneyland, not my favorite place, um, um, but. We drove up and down the coast of California. We took a helicopter right into Mount St. Helens, which was so cool. We saw the Grand Canyon. We went to the OK Corral. We took our kids everywhere. And I have tons of pictures on my iPad that I look at. And, And all those memories. They just come back to you. See, when you travel with your kids, when you hang with them, life will present opportunities for you to share God's word and to make it applicable. I want to show you a little clip from a a movie called Rob Roy. Um, It gives a little picture of uh, the idea Will MacGregors ever be kings again? All men with honour are kings. But not all kings have honour. What is honour? Honour is. what no man can give you, and none can take away. Honour is a man's gift to himself. Do women have it? women are the heart of honour, and we cherish and protect it in them. You must never mistreat a woman or malign a man, nor stand by and see another do so. How's it worth you have it? <laughs> never worry on the getting of it. It grows in you and speaks to you. All you need to do is listen. Now, Obviously, he wasn't teaching scripture, but the principle of that, of just being with his kids and hanging out and answering the deep questions that kids can ask and be willing to impart and teach, impress upon them what's true. Because God blesses those divine opportunities. Passion, persuasion, presence. Uh, lastly, um, practice. Let's go back to our verses. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, now what's going on with that? Um, they, they were, Jews called it fontlets. They were... Things that you put on the front of your head, a little box with scripture, and you put them on your arms. And the whole notion was that they were there to remind you of what came first, what mattered. Um, And they were a testimony, they were a sign. As a father, we're supposed to bring our faith, our passion, not just to where we are with our kids, but they need to see us bring it out into the world. They need to see that there's a pattern, that there's a consistency, that what we say to them is important, shows up in how we do life. That idea of uh, binding it around your your head, the notion was that it would be in the forefront of your mind. And if it's in the forefront of your mind, you'll discern everything through God's word. Kids need to see in their fathers that they practice what they preach. That it matters that much to them. That it goes on, on the outside and the house is covered It covered with it on the inside. He says, uh, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And what it was was meant to be a, a sign and a symbol to those entering and exiting. That this is a home, this is a family, this is a people dedicated to God and to his word. This is a, a, a great section of scripture when it comes to looking at what it means to be a parent, what it means to be a father. Because there is a plan. And the plan is based around love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. Why? Because if you do, he won't let you down. You love a person, they'll let you down. You love some plan in life in which you'll become rich or popular, it'll let you down. You love anything in this world other than God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, it will let you down. A father's job is to make sure that his children know the plan of God. Know that God has given us decrees to live by. He's given us the principles to put in place. He's given us lives to apply his word that we become enriched I'm always fighting the notion when I counsel with people that God's word is not there to stop you from doing something. It's not there to just take away your fun. It is there to ensure and make sure that you get the best of life and not the junk of life. I, um, I came across this recently. I thought this was pretty good. what it's called uh, what my father taught me he taught me to appreciate a job well done if you're going to kill each other do it outside I just finished cleaning my father taught me religion you better pray that will come out of the carpet my father taught me time travel if you don't straighten up I'm going to knock you into the middle of next week my father taught me logic because I said so, that's why. My father taught me foresight. Make sure you wear clean underwear in case you're in an accident. My father taught me irony. Just keep laughing, and I'll give you something to cry about. My father taught me the science of osmosis. Shut your mouth and eat your supper. My father taught me stamina. You'll sit there till all the spinach is finished. My father taught me about the weather. If it it looks like a tornado has gone through your room, my father has taught me about hypocrisy. If I've told you once, I've told you a million times. Don't exaggerate. (laughs) Not everything a father says is golden, not everything a father says is right. But a father can be ensured of, of this that his children will learn from him. And, and when it comes to God, they'll learn from their father what their father learned from his father. Or they'll learn from the heavenly father and God's word. But when you put them two together even amongst all the silliness that fathers can engage in even in the midst of some of the ignorance when a father looks at his child and says look this is true. God has a plan for your life. That's all that matters. So I want to encourage the fathers here. The best plan for being a father is the father's plan. It's your job to know it, to live it, and to share it. Let's join our hearts in prayer.